Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Now, Alex, I believe we have three jokes left, maybe four. Three? I want you to pick one that's funny. I want Mm -hmm. one of these to make me laugh. Hmm. High standard for humor. (laughs) Do it. Unfortunately, fewer vaccinated Americans means more sick Americans. Because last week, 42 states saw an increase in COVID-19 cases. No, no, America. The pandemic's got to be over. I threw out my sweatpants. I killed my sourdough starter. I drank all my hand sanitizer. I'm not going back to the damn storage room. (laughs) That is funny. Yeah. 42 states' cases are up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm vaccinated, so whatevs. Well, and it's uh, overwhelmingly young people who are healthy see no particular risk from the Chinese bat fever, and they're probably right. And the more people like that who get sick, whether they didn't want to get vaccinated or refused to or had just happened, the more people who get sick like that and, and survive in fine fashion, they're immune now. So I just, I'm, I refuse to get worked up. There you go. No fear mongering around here, man. No, no. no way. No way. Heck no. We probably ought to get back to scrometing at some point. It's this mysterious syndrome. Uh, young people in particular smoke this super powerful cannabis. I worry about that because, you know, my kid's uh, 11, so he's heading into the age where if he's, you know, going to get into that sort of stuff, he might. And it ain't like it was, from what I understand, when I was uh, his age. It's absolutely true. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's frightening. Yeah, what uh, drug fiends in my generation refer to, and I, I heard their accounts uh, secondhand, uh, we might refer to a Vulcan Mind Eraser. I mean, really powerful uh, marijuana, you know, African Red Bud Death Hash. And uh, it's it's not nearly as strong as what people smoke routinely these days. It's It's very much like a generation, a couple of generations going from drinking beer to drinking whiskey, but in the same amount. Or, or or close to the same amount. Not amount of alcohol, just amount of ounceage. Um, it's 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 not good for your brain, kids. Seriously. I, I, here's old Uncle Joe here. I had my wild side, okay? I, Look at Joe's uh, brain. I mean, it's just a disaster. Uh, when it works at all, it works poorly. Uh, just, yeah, just don't. Don't. It's a bad idea. Um, anyway, uh, we can get back to scrometing later on. Uh, I found this uh, very, very interesting a study in Canada. Uh, turns out they have scientists up there. What? Uh, about uh, schools that shut down and schools that didn't. <clears throat> Before we get there, though, loved this editorial in the New York Post. Oh, whoops. I was going to do it in the other order. Uh, it's an article in which they mentioned that Dr. Ibram X. Kendi uh, gave the big keynote spo- speech to the American Federation of Teachers Conference set to cover developing anti-racist mindsets and actions, how to be an anti-racist, how to design every class around anti-racism. And you're thinking, what do you mean by that? Well, here's a story from the University of California, San Diego. They're hiring assistant professors in, in STEM, chemistry, for instance, um, 
And the assistant professor in chemistry must be able to, and I quote, design and teach undergraduate courses that align with African-American studies minors and the black diaspora and African-American studies majors, or supplement it by creating a course that fulfills the school's diversity, equity, and inclusion requirement. Wait, there's more. Candidates must also have completed research and service that is advanced anti-racism, anti-oppression, equity, and justice. So you can't just be good at molecules bonding and knowing the the table. And, and really good at teaching people and making them excited about chemistry. No way. You've got to be hand-in-hand with Ibram X. Kendi teaching about how the entire system is evil and racist and should be torn down and that white people are evil to their souls uh, to, to have the right to teach chemistry. Ah, uh, Just really, really up our own heinies here. Uh, there's more. It's it's just it's an amazing well, word salad. While we're on that, can we play that uh, clip I had to get the audio from uh, Alex yesterday when somebody asked a question to Jen Psaki in the White House briefing room? Delegates of the National Education Association, they approved a measure last week calling for support of, quote, the implementation of culturally responsive education, critical race theory, and ethics studies curriculum in pre-K through 12 and higher education. Um, the president is obviously a big fan of education. Uh, First Lady is a teacher. She's a, a union teacher. I'm wondering, what are the president's thoughts on anti-racism curriculum in the classroom? The president believes that in our history, uh, there are many dark moments. And there is not just slavery and racism in our history. There is systemic racism that is still impacting society today. And he believes, as I believe, as a parent of children, that kids should learn about our history. Uh, so as a, the, the spouse of an educator and as somebody who is, continues to believe that children should learn uh, not just the good, but also the challenging in our history. And that's part of what we're talking about here, even as it's become politically charged. Yeah, that was a bit of a Mott and Bailey thing where she would go out and throw out a little stuff about systemic racism and then retreat back to uh, slavery. Yeah, well, we're all in agreement back here in the castle that uh, where it's a safe argument that the slavery is bad and we should teach the realities of it in school. But then you gone out there and tour, you're not quite as comfortable with the whole systemic racism thing. How are you going to teach teaching the, children about it? How in the world are you going to teach kids about that? So uh, the people that I really respect are willing to say there's probably systemic racism that exists in some of our systems to get the results that we've had in the country. But the problem is. How do you how do you narrow down where it is, how much it is, what should be done about it, and then teach it to fifth graders? It is an extremely technical and subtle look at law structures that some law schools are probably qualified to teach carefully. But when you get down to fifth graders, fourth graders, third graders, all you're teaching them is this is a racist country. All of our systems exist to promote white supremacy, and your white friends are in on it. It's the only thing the kids can comprehend. Right, and I'm I'm afraid, uh, well, I'm afraid I would almost guarantee that this is going to be the case. Well, they'll use things like, um, uh, you know, you can use income statistics and show white people on average make this, black people on average make this, which is lower than what white people make, and then just declare that to be because of racism. Right. When there are all kinds of complicated factors involved. Right. You know, I'm, I'm taking a look at the clock and trying to figure out the best way to structure this, whether we should take a break or what. Um, maybe I'll just sum it up in the next couple of that, minutes. That was frightening, what you just heard there from Jen Psaki. Absolutely. That the president is fully on board with teaching systemic racism in our schools, K through uh, 12. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, by the way, I keep hearing people denying is happening. 
Oh, they, they're acting like they're teaching critical race theory in the schools. They're not. Ha, 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 they say on MSNBC. We're just teaching history. <laughs> it's a Republican talking point. Yeah, well, of course. Deny, deny, deny. It's uh, and, and Until it is so thoroughly entrenched, nobody can get rid of it. So uh, speaking of schools and, and teachers' unions and Ibram X. Kendi and the rest of it, uh, two more things for you that are closely related. Um, this is a study from the, I believe this is the Toronto Star publishing this. Um, the school year is now over, but we need to understand the effect of the decisions that were made. A retroactive analysis of different policy choices provides clarity. By comparing the experience of uh, Ontario with that of other provinces, it is now clear that provinces that kept schools open longer had outcomes that were no worse and in many cases better. The timing of the spring wave in particular was remarkably similar across British Columbia, Quebec, and Ontario. Peaks occurring on almost the same day across all three. Yet the first two kept schools open throughout, while the last closed them in April and never reopened. Evidence from across North America now suggests that the damage caused by closing schools was inflicted for no benefit. Wow, it's uh, funny we didn't suspect that. Um, uh, Getting away from the childish sarcasm. This is one of the worst things we've ever done as a nation was uh, keeping all these kids out of school and the the um the damage will be seen for years to come years years to come some kids will never recover from it that's correct it it is disastrous it it is incredibly sad and depressing what we did to the children and it was a combination of obsessed public health officials who could think of only one thing covid and didn't take on the difficult work of balancing threats of balancing needs of balancing benefits nope they they made the cowardly cowardly choice to just focus on one thing and pretend that was the only thing happening and as i i read somebody from the new york times over the weekend some you know smarty pants thinker uh saying you know it's 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 a troubling reality but as soon as trump mentioned the schools should open there is just a knee-jerk reaction from the other side, that we can't be in alignment with his thinking. Right, and we won't even think about, independently, whether he's right or not. And then uh, what I'm working toward here is a piece by Carol Markowitz, who, uh, the, which I thought was terrific in the New York Post. Don't let Randy Weingarten whitewash a role in school closures. Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, and uh, Ms. Markowitz writes, if your child didn't attend school regularly last year, Randy Weingarten is likely the reason why. No wonder why the American Federation of Teachers boss has launched a soft-focus rehabilitation campaign in the media. Her PR people are working overtime to make us forget that no single public actor has done more to hurt kids and education overall in the last year. Last week, the Washington Post, to its shame, ran an adoring interview with Weingarten, the latest in a string of carefully placed pieces and friendly outlets aimed at fixing her shattered reputation. Here she is, quote, taking a strong stand, and there she is calling for reopening all classrooms next year. It's, and I hate this term, gaslighting, and the record must be set straight. Last September... As schools across the country were trying to reopen, and at that point, as Jack and I have hammered home, the data on kids and COVID and and safety was unassailable. It was known. But last September, Weingarten could be counted on to oppose any such move. And I quote, 
If community spread is too high, if you don't have the infrastructure of testing, if you don't have the safeguards that prevent the spread of viruses in the school, we believe that you cannot reopen in person. It was nonsense. Other countries had long opened their schools by that point. We had real-world models for making in-person schoolwork. Schools in Europe had opened without masking, without social distancing, and with no quote-unquote infrastructure of testing. You know what they don't mention here in this, this editorial is that you don't need to go to Europe. Right freaking next door, the Catholic school was wide open. And the kids were there in person full time. Do not forget Randy Weingarten in the American Federation of Teachers' role in torturing and punishing and injuring our children. Please. End of rant. So, uh, we mentioned last week the Foo Fighters' new album is a remake of Bee Gees' songs. We'll hit you with a little bit of that coming back to see what the Foo Fighters sound like doing uh, Bee Gees' disco music. And uh, some other things we got to get into. Fox ran a disclaimer under Trump's speech over the weekend, which Hmm. is kind of interesting. I learned something, a piece of trivia yesterday I want to pass along. Uh, Just a number of things we'll hit on. The Haiti assassination gets more interesting, not less. As there seems there was a CIA confidential informant involved somehow. Wow. Uh, all that on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you've ever done this before, but you take there's this bean it's called a um, a coffee bean, and they uh, they grind it down and then they pour hot water over it. Why? It causes a liquid anyway. I've been drinking it. It's freaking fantastic. Oh my god! You can't understate how great coffee is <laughs> if if you're an addict. <laughs> I, I love it. And, yeah. and you know, if I don't drink coffee, I'm just a little sluggish. I don't get the headache or anything, but I just love it. Um, yeah, I remember hearing a doctor one time say, I don't know if they still believe it's true. The only downside to being addicted to coffee is you, you need coffee, but there's no other real downside to it. Um, as opposed to being addicted to a whole bunch of other things. Um, quickly, this, the Foo Fighters band I really like, Dave Grohl, former drummer from Nirvana and his new band from like the past 20 years. Um, <laughs> his new band. <laughs> You're so old. He, uh, he decided to put out an album of Bee Gees tunes, Bee Gees covers, and here's one of them. Yes, this kind of reminds me of when uh, Weezer redid Toto's Africa a couple of years ago, and it sounded exactly like the original. I thought, what's the point of that? (laughs) Yeah, I really expected something different. I thought they'd have a heavier take on the tunes or something. I've always wanted to ask a music uh, person that lives in Nashville or L.A., you know, is really in the music scene. Uh, at the high uh, the corporate record level about this. 
it's clear that there are great songs that there's a period of time has gone by where there's you you could reintroduce it, but you can't just like likewise TV shows and movies. Yeah, but you can't. Well, that's what remakes are all about. You can't just re-release for some reason. I guess can't just hey hey younger people. Have you ever heard this BG song? You'd really like it. For some reason, you have to have another band do it. It happens all the time with country songs, rock songs, all the sort of stuff. And I hear it become a hit, and I think, yeah, that was a great song then. It's just you're just reintroducing a great song to people is what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. So why bother? I don't know. I don't know. And I also well, watched... I'd like to hear more. I love uh, I love the foos, so I'm not going to judge too harshly based on 20 seconds of music. I also watched a long video the other day of from one of the top record producers of all time. Um, he's got a, a YouTube channel, and um, anyway, he was doing stuff about auto-tune and all the things they can do in the studio now and how you can just make anybody sound like anything. And he said a lot of the magic of, of like, natural talent is just, it doesn't exist anymore, or doesn't need to exist anymore. He said, I can yeah. get anybody in here and make them sound like anything, and um, and uh, they can't pull it off live, but, you know, as far as for making records or songs that are going to get played on the radio, it's it's so easy to do now. It was really interesting. And it gives you a new appreciation if, you, if you're if you into that sort of thing as both of us are. Uh, when you go back and listen to, say, the vocal tracks from a, a band in 1972 where there was no auto-tune or anything. Right. And they actually nailed all the parts over but and over again. You don't nail the parts. That was the point he made, which was really interesting. He, he played a bunch of examples. If you perfectly tune... People don't sing perfectly in tune. Even oh, no, really good no. singers don't. If you p- p- perfectly put harmonies together, they sound really thin and weird if you make them perfect. He said the lack of perfection, like in three people that are good singers, is what makes it their, your hair stand on end. Mm-hmm. It's that lack of perfection coming together that just makes it magical. And, he, and then he would make them perfect and play them, and they were like less good when it was perfect. It was really interesting. Yeah, I I see what you're saying, but by nailing the parts, I mean making it sound great. And if you ever listen to people who can't sing on pitch try to harmonize, it makes you want to <laughs> scrum it, honestly. Scream and vomit all day long. I wanted to get to um, Fox ran a disclaimer under Trump's speech at CPAC. What does that mean? And uh, well, we can discuss that a little bit coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Baseball's all-star game is tonight, correct? Yeah, yep, yep. I declared it was dead to me because they moved it out of Atlanta for the worst of politically correct stupid reasons. I can't decide whether I'm going to watch it. I worked watched the whole run dealio for a while last night. It's too long. Oh, wait, is this a typo? Can this be? Is this real? Is this true? Tim the Lawyer, Tim Sandifer, will be joining us in Hour 3 to kick off the beginning of the hour to talk about his various crusades for liberty, what the cases he's been fighting. And, and I also, we all want to ask him about the giant new announcement by Biden and company that they're going to get step right into the middle of managing the economy and, and, and managing competition and monopolies and the rest of it, what it all means. I was just reading this thing in the dispatch about the uh, recent heat wave. All kinds of records being set in the western half of the United States and how hot it is. And uh, as we were mentioning yesterday, we both like the dispatch because they 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 go they go way out of their way to not be clickbaity and um, or just you know sensational or whatever. 
Anyway, they're talking about uh, climate change and the fact that it has gotten hotter and they don't get into any of the causes or what we need to do to fix it, just the fact that it's gotten warmer. And how um, while the, the, the average temperatures are up just a tiny bit and it's not enough to notice, you know, when you hear those stories about the ocean is 0.9 degrees hotter than it was in 1900 and you think, well, what the hell do I care? Right. Um, but but th- that, whenever you get a heat wave and a whole bunch of different factors go together, it, it you can jump as much as four degrees at a time there when you reach like extreme heats. And there is a limit. <laughs> I mean, and, and when do we get there as to what people can even stand? So it was 130 in Death Valley over the weekend, close to the hottest it's ever been on planet Earth ever that's been measured in, in the modern world. Uh, you know, uh, I, I believe when the uh, uh, the crust was cooling, it was probably hotter than 130 <laughs> degrees, but that was four billion years ago. Um, uh, but 100, they set a new record in Vegas, hot it's ever been, hottest it's ever been around where I live, 113. But you go up another four, eight degrees over the next however many years, and you're going to get to where, like, it's like you can't, survive it i don't know you're in phoenix you'll be fine everything's fine have the whales put on shorts if the ocean is getting warm come on now that's why um we got on the phone with my brother over the weekend because when he was in uh iraq a couple of different times he was stationed in saudi arabia i don't remember where it was the hottest but it was it was 120 every day around 120 every day and he thinks the hottest it ever was when he was around was like mid mid 120s and it was you could be outside for a little bit but you had to get back into your car uh, because you just, you know, you'd get so dry, so hot, you'd get woozy. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many more degrees up? And I'm not trying to do the whole climate change, the Earth's going to end 10 years, we need to drive electric cars thing, but there is a limit to how hot it can get where you just say, Jesus, it's hot today. To where you just, like, can't really be outside. Well, it evolves to the point you say, I need to get inside so I don't die. I, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea which way this is going. I have no idea how we will adapt and overcome. Surely we, we will if we must. Well, I grew up in uh, places where it was so cold you couldn't be outside for more than a couple of minutes, and we all survived. Right, or you, you know, would die. I remember yeah. standing outside for the school bus in Wisconsin when I was a kid. Uh, Gladys, do you not play the harp anymore? Or, you know, you're still paying you. Gladys! Jeez, a little respect. She's a World War One vet. Right, but her hair's shot. Her hearing is shot from uh, being too close to the cannon fire. Exactly. When I was gave the guy gave the Kaiser's men what for though, didn't she? Huh? Once well, was, well done, Gladys. Once when I was standing out waiting for the school bus because it was really windy and cold that day in Wisconsin, it was seventy five below zero with the wind chill. That's that's freaking cold. Yeah, it is. The day Ooh. I was born in South Dakota, not wind chill, straight out temperature, it was thirty two degrees below zero. And here in South Dakota, the day I was born, so people survive. You can't be out there very long, but. You know, you make it from your car to your house and back, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose we'll do the same with heat. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the the, uh, the Great Northwest has been making all sorts of noise about the incredible heat wave they had uh, in, in Oregon and, and Washington, where it was just horrifically hot, over 100, in places where you need air conditioning so infrequently, many yeah. people don't have it. Yeah, that's a new problem. Well, you get know what? It. <laughs> you get it. Yeah, exactly. You're going to get air conditioning. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. You're all going to start getting air conditioning. Um, so Trump spoke at CPAC over the weekend. I don't remember CPAC getting as little attention as it did this year around. Usually I hear the buildup for days and then hear a lot about it during it and then afterwards. And it kind of came, snuck up on me this year. Um, I don't know why. If Well, I don't know why. 
Just a quick observation, uh, because it's more or less the same question. I uh, I was reading some analysis of, uh, of the current political goings on, and this article, which was you know it was a smart article, but it uh, equivocated. It it considered Trumpism and very conservative to be the same thing. Right. That always bothers me. Those those aren't the same thing. Right. Right. So I wonder if CPAC has lost some of its. Nobody's quite sure what it is. It's a it's a gathering of conservatives giving a bunch of speeches and stuff like that, and it's always got to do with about the next election and who's hot and who's not and that sort of stuff. But Trump spoke at CPAC over the weekend and got a lot less attention than he used to get whenever he spoke. But anyway, Fox ran it live, but when he got into the stuff about and he he had a lot of good stuff about critical race theory in schools and Biden not securing the border and a whole bunch of stuff that I thought was freaking great. But then he got into uh, the election and how the election was stolen and rigged and all that sort of stuff. And Fox stopped their normal cry-on thing that was going around the bottom, giving you the latest news, and ran a disclaimer uh, that said, Voting system companies have denied the various allegations by President Trump and his counsel regarding the 2020 election, among other disclaimers that they ran during his speech when he would get into the election stuff. Which I thought was pretty darn interesting. I, I, think, I think Trump could win again. I don't know that he's going to run, but I think he could win again. But his best bet for winning again would be to drop the whole the election was stolen stuff and just go focus on the border, crime, and critical race theory. You mm-hmm. shut up about the election and you could win again. I think. Yeah, and I see the emails coming in. They're being typed right now. Guys, you got to pay attention to the. Didn't you hear about that? And there actually was a study out of Georgia I found really interesting. Interesting, but we're talking about what will be victorious, and and hammering the election fraud thing just doesn't play. I know it plays with some of you, but it does not play with the broad masses of Americans. Not Stop people. The hammering. That's not right. With enough people to, to 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 get elected. Man, you hammer the the border, for instance. When that Harvard poll shows that a majority of Americans, a majority of Americans think the Biden administration should have kept the Trump rules in place at the border. Man, mm-hmm. you run on that all day long and don't talk about the election, I think would be a smart idea. But he doesn't listen to anyone, and he's been very successful not listening to anyone. So, Well, the Republican dream is to find somebody to pick up uh, the uh, the baton. And, uh, and and carry forward a lot of those policies that people really did like without the, the downside of Trumpiness. Yeah. But that was something, uh, you know, Fox is the most friendly venue he's ever going to come up with, and they still ran a disclaimer uh, underneath him as he spoke. That was quite something. It was quite something. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm just so tired of it all. Sorry. Just telling you the truth, folks. I'm just sharing what's in my heart. Uh, you I don't want to talk about Trump anymore. I don't want to talk about COVID anymore. Just ah, done with it. What do you want to talk about? Trump. No, I just said that, you idiot. <laughs> was that Cardi B? I think it was. What's yeah. the main thing driving the protests in Cuba? It's the main thing that has driven protests throughout the history of mankind. There is one thing that will get anybody into the street. Anyone. Hunger. Mm. They're freaking hungry. Yep. And if you're hungry, particularly if your kids are hungry, you will risk life and limb because what do you got to lose? And uh, that's what's got people in the streets in Cuba. And they've had uh, several days of the biggest protest against the communist government that they've had in 30 years where this is going. I don't know. I saw Ian Bremmer up on the TV. Maybe we'll get him on this week to talk about it a little bit. I'd like to ask Ian Bremmer because he studied this as much as anybody. What? 
and I know this isn't actually known. There's no science to this. If there was, there'd be more overthrowing of regimes. But what 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 is the tipping point when you know these revolutions come and the the the, uh, the leadership actually falls? You see a big one in Iran, ah, they squash it. You see a big one in Hong Kong, ah, they squash it. You see a big one in Egypt, ah, the government's gone. Yeah, I think it has to do with the the leadership's willingness to inflict brutality on the citizens and the instruments of that brutality, the, the military, the police, their willingness to carry out those orders, because that varies a lot from place to place. Sure. And and it, it, I know very little, to my shame, honestly, uh, I know very little about the Cuban security state. Um, how likely it is to be loyal no matter what, how it feels about firing on its own people. I think it was uh, Marco Rubio, or it may have been a different Florida politician who's of Cuban descent, who said, look, the days of the regime are numbered, and we will not accept I was just following orders. If you fire on your own people, if you execute an unlawful command, Cuban security forces, hear us now. You will be judged. Well, that's a tough situation to be in. Because you might have a guy standing right behind you. It's going to shoot you if you don't follow the orders. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, this you know, and this goes to how utterly phony and pathetic the 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 brave revolutionary types are in our country. You throw Molotov cocktails at cops, knowing the cops aren't going to shoot them or bash their brains in. It's like it's it's exactly like those Antifa types are so much like the tough guys who like badmouth a six foot ten, two hundred and eighty pound NBA player. To his face, knowing that NBA players not allowed to cave in his head, and then as soon as you know things are uh, you know a little more equal, they, they they got nothing to say. These people in Cuba, in Libya, in you name it, Hungary, wherever that are protesting for their freedom, they are actually risking everything. And you you adolescent twerps in Portland, for instance, appropriating their risk to make yourself seem exciting maybe the most pathetic thing ever i don't know i'll have to check the historic record uh, i want to talk about the the changes disney has made to the jungle cruise and an effort to be politically correct there at disney we'll talk about that coming up a little bit but this piece of trivia that just came out of nowhere last night for some reason i'm laying in bed with my uh, my nine-year-old helping him get to sleep last night and he said how many nerves are there in the body and Oof. this is the sort of thing that i probably knew in eighth grade for a test I said, I don't know. It's got to be thousands. I said, let's Google it. How many nerves are in the body? I don't know a number. I know the 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 length of all the nerve cells and and all the well, miles and miles and miles. Kips being back or the moon twice or something. Uh, circle now, the, ro- the globe twenty times. So I looked it up. I was a little short with my thousands. Seven trillion nerves in the human body. And I'm on my last one. I'm warning you. <laughs> That's what I said to him. So get to sleep. <laughs> You're driving me crazy. Yeah, 206 bones, I know that one. How many, that's funny, how many teeth came up? Is it 32? 32. For most people, I got six, but. (laughs) Luckily, two of the top ones and two of the bottom ones match, so you can chew pretty successfully. Yeah, I knew somebody who didn't have very many teeth, but they matched up so they could chew pretty well. Hmm. If they they match up, it's good, but if you got them, like, staggered and you can't chew food, then it's. Oh, it makes all the difference. (laughs) Some of you meth heads out there listening. Thank sure, you. First, you can relate. First, thanks for listening, but you can relate. Yeah, ain't she? They're, they're speaking the truth today. Yep. <laughs> Disney has made some changes to their Jungle Cruise that nobody was going to be upset about, but they did it anyway, because that's the world we live in, among other things, on the way. 
Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. He's obviously taken off his shirt to intimidate his faithful native bearer, and the native bearer has clearly uh, just said, A thousand pardons, Effendi. I bow before your magnificent imperialist nipples. Is that the front hump of your camel, or are you just pleased to see me? <laughs> so what are they t- what is it being talked about there? That's Mark Stein on Tucker's show last night. Talking about uh, uh, Congressman Swalwell was on vacation and uh, shirtless for some reason in a foreign land on a camel. Hoping to meet an attractive uh, young Chinese miss. Yeah. Perhaps. Do you remember Congressman Swalwell? He ran for president for a cup of coffee. Uh, that didn't work out so well. And then it turned out he uh, was dating a Chinese spy, it would appear. But... You lying creep. Here's a little more from Mark Stein on the topless, bare chested <laughs> vacation pick. Our ruling class is cavorting topless with camels in Qatar. Now, that picture there is the death of the republic. Uh, don't wave your constitution at me. Uh, don't tell me about your founding fathers, because no founding father uh, foresaw a situation in which, at the height of a pandemic, in which you can't go to church, you can't get a haircut, uh, you can't go to a restaurant, but our rulers can go and cavort topless with their native bearers, even when they're entirely risible buffoons who've been penetrated by Chinese intelligence. Mm. Yeah, it's good that the powerful were having a good time while you were uh, you were uh, hunkered down in your home, not allowed to leave. Anyhow. Uh, Disney is changing its jungle cruise. I've never been to Disneyland. My son was there last weekend. But I've I never been, been to Disneyland. I have taken the Jungle Cruise. I am an experienced Jungle Cruiser. Disneyland <laughs> has revealed an update to the theme part. Well, were you horrified by the um, mistreatment of everything that's politically correct? Oh, yeah. I leapt off the boat. I swam for, uh, for my life <laughs> through the alligator-infested waters. They've removed racially insensitive depictions of indigenous people and adds a brand-new story to its Jungle Cruise adventure. The changes to the Jungle Cruise in Anaheim, California, and Walt Disney World in Florida were being instituted to reflect and value the diversity of the world around us, Disney said to USA Today. I don't know how many people were complaining about this, or if anybody had ever complained about it. The popular rides revamp, which the outlet states was one of the original attractions overseen by Walt Disney himself when it was opened in 1955. So the Jungle Cruise goes way back. After receiving criticism that the Jungle Cruise encouraged racial insensitivity. What are we talking about here? The Jungle Cruise included tribal dancers, a war party with people waving spears, and a shrunken head dealer named Trader Sam. All have Mm. been removed from the updated version. Was there a single kid in the world that went through there that came out racist because of any of those things? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, most of this stuff is is utterly idiotic. I mean, I could come up with examples, but we all heard them. Ah, I got to admit, there's a little bit of an ooga booga feel to it. Um, but what, what does that? But what does that lead you to do? That's bad. Think 
African people are weird or scary or I don't know. It just seems wrong. Uh-huh. Just saying about the way I would have taken it as a kid. I'm thinking that many, many years ago, maybe now, sometimes in uh, places in the jungle where they haven't seen modernity, uh, people acted like that. I just I don't know. That'd be the end of it. I, I wouldn't think about it at all, really. Yeah, I guess the only the only problem with it is it is a cartoonish portrayal by a company that cartoonishly portrays everything. Uh, I, yeah, I don't I don't know. Can you? I don't know. Can you complain about a cartoonish portrayal in a cartoon? Is that uh, have we gone through a wormhole here? If we do that, <laughs> yeah, I know what I know what you're saying. I, I was just reading uh, the transcript of a conversation between Conan O'Brien and uh, and Sean Penn, in which they were talking about we're getting to an absurd spot where and, and Sean Penn mentioned a bunch of his different roles and uh, Sean Penn's an obnoxious prick and consorts with communists. Okay, I, I don't love the guy in the least. But he pointed out that we're we're getting to the point where uh, he couldn't have played a lot of the roles that made him famous and award-winning in the rest of it. Uh, he mentioned one award-winning role where he played a gay character. He said, I, I, they wouldn't cast me anymore. They wouldn't let me do it, which reminds me of comedians saying, I can't tour colleges anymore. We just, we're, we've gotten to the point where we're also paranoid about being offensive and and generally nobody steps up and says, "Excuse me, I'm offended by that." It's just like a preemptive paranoia yeah. that I can you have a Jungle Cruise anymore? Well, Disney's got their new Jungle Cruise a movie coming out um, with the the Rock, and uh, and so it's a big deal. And I think they're just trying to get ahead of the possibility that the idea was how do we bring this idea of diversity inclusive inclusivity so that we can reflect not only our guests but our cast members today? Okay, that kind of language. This or is, is this all a publicity stunt? I don't think so. No. I think they're trying to get ahead of any possible controversy that could happen before their giant gazillion dollar movie comes out. Uh, earlier this month, I think we mentioned this, the park removed the mention of ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from their automated greeting announcements during all day and nighttime events because ladies right. and gentlemen, boys and girls is... Ge- no, stop please, using... Please do not use g- gendered language g- to, g- to address g- everyone. G- 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 Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls is no longer okay. All right. That one is clearly dumb. As the woke crowd insists, you must be a boyish boy or a girlish girl. Otherwise, you're not a boy or girl at all. Wait, what? Yeah. Tim Sandifer, if you don't know him, you're going to like him. He's an hour three. Armstrong and Getty.